the biggest crisis that humanity has faced is the population crisis. We are at a point of no return. I always say to build the right team, always, there's an average of three iterations. 90% of companies, startups, fail within the first 33 years. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with Smartcast and Najahi Events. More about these two awesome organizations later. Today's guest, an Emirati. So we don't have many Emiratis on the show, but he's looking at education completely differently. Dr. Adil Al-Zaruni is an Emirati leader of entrepreneurial teams and an educator. He has over two decades of experience in executive management, investments, sales, logistics, IT security, economic zone development, sustainability of family businesses, and education. He has served in various leadership positions within the UAE government entities, as well as family-owned businesses, and now he's the CEO of Al-Zaruni Emirates Investments. His latest venture is the Citizens School, a new school in Dubai that reimagines education and gives children the opportunity to make their own choices in a non-selective and inclusive environment. Can't wait to talk about it because I've been learning about this in the background and I know that you are going to enjoy what this guy's got to say. So let's cue the music and get stuck in. Organizations such as Smartcast, who are solving the problem of food security in the world, have supported this podcast because they believe in the mission that I'm on. When you understand the work that they do at trying to solve the problem with this massive population growth we've been having over the years and providing a way of bringing food safely to everybody, it really is something I admire. And lastly, thank you to Najahi Events who have been sponsoring us now on the podcast for over a year. Najahi bring motivational speakers to the region to help inspire, educate, and motivate you to achieve better success and live a better life. So first of all, welcome, Dr. Adil Alzaruni. It's quite a name, isn't it? Do you, do you like to be called a doctor? Or do you like to be called Adil? What do your friends call you? Actually, my father asked me once, he said, you know, what are you a doctor in? You- <laughs> I said, well, it depends on who speaks to me. <laughs> in, in my case, I said a urologist, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so if I go, no, no. if I go, so, so I'm not used yet to the concept of being called a doctor, but more so people feel more comfortable with it. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, in, in us Emiratis, we are usually referred to as you know the father of some somebody. Like uh-huh. in my case, I'm Abu Bader. My uh-huh. my eldest son is Bader. And if they don't, they would like to call you in a in a respectful way. And uh, a doctor is is equally interesting as a respectful. Way. If they don't know who who who, who How to you have kids you. or or you know the name of it. So yeah, yeah. Okay, before we get started, um, um, I've got quite a few Emirati friends, but we have quite a bit of fun about this. The the. I've been in Dubai 17 years, but there's lots of people that are fairly new to Dubai and they see you guys all dressed the same in your candoras, okay, either in the shopping mall or a coffee shop. You know, the favorite one is Starbucks and Emirates Towers. That seems to be very popular. And um, there's an element of mystery and fear to, to some degree thinking, who is this person? How important are they? Do you guys have a bit of fun with that as well? Do you, do you know that people think like that? You know, uh... I, I used to go to the different companies that I run, 
and I get in and I see, you know, see them a bit anxious, and I was like, you know, trying to keep a distance. I didn't understand why. I really didn't. And it took me a while to realize that my driver used to actually go and like, you know, talk to them about bosses coming and like be respectful. And <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not that guy. I'm friendly. I'm just like, don't scare people around me. Yeah. Uh, do we have fun about it? No, I, I think it's it's really the fact that we, uh, as a community, are a, a bit introverted to a certain degree. We have our you know cultural zone that we enjoy. We are relatively quiet. I mean, as as a community, we don't judge much. Respectful. Don't have many subjects to talk about. Really, I mean, we. I wouldn't say we are we are boring. We are, we are not. We can be really funny. But we, we tend to keep to ourselves. That's, that's the reality. We don't get involved in others' uh, cultures and no, like try to influence them. You'd probably notice that. Yeah, yeah, uh, we, do, we don't yeah. try to influence others' cultures. I mean, we are happy with what you do as long as you keep you know, a, a, healthy, a healthy overall attitude. That's, mm-hmm. that's what we care for. And probably I think a lot of us don't like to be judged also. Uh, for the fact that we are a bit maybe different socially uh-huh. yeah and this is why you see a, a lot of emiratis being relatively a bit isolated uh, i think that is changing in in a good way and i would encourage uh, the ones that you know see us different to come and talk to us because we are extremely friendly don't be fooled or swayed by the dress code we we wear these dresses because they are super convenient yeah it's the same color all year long yeah i mean how convenient is that you understand me and it's tr- really breezy also so <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a bit like a bit like mark zuckerberg who says i wear the same t-shirt and uh, same color every day well when he says it though everyone says what, what a clever idea that is you know it is. But you guys have been doing it for it centuries is. it is yes <laughs> it's very convenient the same you know you, you would never know if i did wear it for like 10 days although we are very hygienic i mean we changed one of, one of my uh, Emirati friends, Omar al I met him for the first time maybe 10 years ago in Abu Dhabi. And I met him at um, a hotel foyer. And he's in his candora. But he had a really bright pair of Nike sneakers on, like okay, orange and blues yeah, or whatnot. Yeah. And so I didn't say anything at first. I didn't know how to approach yeah, it. Yeah. And then after a while, I said to him, look, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit confused. Well, why do you wear such you know, bright sneakers? Why are you wearing sneakers? You know, that's not usual. He said, have you tried to wear those sandals? I was like, no, he said, they're really uncomfortable. He said, sneakers are so much better. <laughs> I, I wouldn't agree. I, I, he just didn't, ha- he, he didn't have a, a good experience with some sandals. <laughs> but sandals are very airy. Yeah. You could imagine. And if you wear the good ones, mm-hmm. they are super convenient. Not to say that sneakers are not very comfortable, but in this weather when it's a bit hot, mm-hmm. it can accumulate a bit of moist, if you know what I mean. Sandals <laughs> are super. And you know, you can use them as a weapon. Like throw it on somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic scene. <laughs> it is. There's a, I, I watched this stuff on uh, on YouTube called Fousey Tube, oh. where there, there's a there's a guy and um, you know he's going in the mosque and his buddy's next to him on the phone saying, "Where are we going for dinner tomorrow night?" Yeah. And he's like, "I'm praying, shut up and whatnot." Okay, and yeah. uh, it's really funny how we uh, we can see that we can see the funny side of everybody's culture. Yeah, yeah. And we can enjoy it. Okay, well, thank you for coming to join us today. I appreciate thank you, you taking time. Appreciate it. You're, you're quite an interesting guy, and you've, you've got quite a few stories to tell. You've gone on quite a journey. But maybe let's start with entrepreneurship. 
and then think about how that word had an impact in your life okay and the kind of things that you've done along the way that have really allowed you to lean into that kind of stuff so i my from an education point of view i'm a telecom engineer and i functioned as an ethical hacker for a few years for telecom companies uh, then i wanted to change field because i've always felt that i need to understand how to do business my family is in business and I thought that I would like to equip myself with understanding the business world. So I went for a master's in business and, and also shifted from the telecom industry. And I joined the, the government of Dubai, uh, Jafza per se. And I got into this function of, uh, so I, I led on the function of global sales as well as economic zones development. Um, this led me to get exposed to a lot of industries, a lot of interesting people travel all around the world and understand economies and at a point in time I uh, my family interested me to structure a, a family office and start venturing into new businesses new lines of businesses and I did that uh, got into a number of interesting industries got into healthcare edu- education financial services consumerism technology logistics did win some did lose some and in doing so, I accumulated a lot of experience on what not to do and, uh, and what, what is good to do, and as well as to grow this network of trustworthy partners, uh, have a great team that I lead on. And as I grew into these experiences, I became, uh, as I was building my, my family office, I, I I, I wanted to do it in a like best practices. I've realized that uh, best practices in this field are do not look deep into context. I decided to research that, and I said, you know what, let's let's do a PhD on this. So I did my PhD on uh, family businesses sustainability. Um, became a passion, and and now I run uh, two family offices. Uh, and I have my own group also that I have created. Going through a lot of wins and losses uh, probably have sharpened me into being always in the mood of building, building businesses. And going through different stages of life, when I'm asked today, what do I enjoy the most? What gets me to wake up excited, which is something I care about? I would say, on average, uh, it's building. So venture building. This is what I enjoy the most today, and that's my uh, tiny entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurship story. When you look at the Middle East, it reminds me, or particularly the UAE, it reminds me of what happened in the gold rush. There were an opportunity in the gold rush in America. People came into San Francisco. They were going to go and find, you know, find their future, find their wealth, find their success. Yeah. You know, and the guy that made the most money was the guy that was selling the shovels and the picks and stuff yes, like that. Yes. I look at Dubai over the last 17 years that I've been here, and it seems to have really attracted a lot of people that have come in and said, I'm going to make my future here. I'm going to be successful. And it's required a certain um, fearlessness, a certain entrepreneurial flair 
for people to go out and, and create that success for themselves. And uh, that, that from all walks of life, whether that be people coming over from the Philippines or from Pakistan or people coming from Russia or the UK, people have come here and gone, hold on a minute, this place has opportunity and I want to tap into that. Do you think that Emiratis, because of the place they live in and being exposed to so much opportunity, do you think entrepreneurialism comes as a kind of like a, a standard bearer for Emiratis and how they think? Do you think that every, every uh, uh, Emirati outside of working in the government becomes entrepreneurial by default? Uh, unfortunately not. Uh, we didn't claim so. I think we, uh, um, I think a portion of the society enjoys the less sophisticated life so the easy, easy-ish life that they live in, and they don't see the necessity to need to explore entrepreneurship and uh, and getting into the the business world. Not to say that I am that it is good or bad. I those are lifestyle choices mm-hmm. that I always respect in people. Mm-hmm whatever helps you sleep better and wakes you excited is what I consider as a good quality of life. And if that means you are happy with a, being an employee somewhere, voila, if you don't, if you are happier being an entrepreneur and waking up you know, into, into this, into this business struggle, then the challenge, the enjoy the challenge, building things, and that is, and you discover that in yourself, then that is good. But do I believe that Emiratis in mass are uh, entrepreneurial in nature and see that uh, their future is uh, is in business? I don't believe so. I think the government wants to like push them into that direction. I think they have spent a lot of effort in doing so. I do though still believe that there are certain variables that need solving before that becomes a reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Bear in mind also that the others that come from abroad, they come out of hunger and need. Mm -hmm. They let go of everything so that they come into an environment that allows them to shine and gives them fair grounds. And and many times, this is what just people want, want a fair chance. I think Dubai, UAE in, in general has being able to create this platform where people can actually compete in a relative fairness and on common ground so that they can so the ones that spend the necessary effort with the necessary intelligence can actually win mm-hmm. i think that because there is no unemployment benefit and because there is no you know in the uk people will go there and potentially you know, get the benefit of free housing, get the benefit of an income coming in. There isn't necessarily the same mindset towards being there. Yes. You know, if you go back to after the Second World War, when lots of people from India and from the West Indies came to the UK to help rebuild it after the war, there was definitely an entrepreneurial mindset then. It was, you know, get out there and make it happen. It's survival. Yeah, survival. Yeah, that's yeah. a good word. Yeah, survival. But, um, and here you have exactly the same thing. You know, if you want to be here, then roll your sleeves up and get stuck in because they, that's your option, you know, yes. or get on a plane and go back home. Yes, yes. And why, why many of them <clears throat> decide to sit because they see a fair chance. 
Mm-hmm. See, you, you would be in many countries whereby you are restricted by a lot of variables. For example, the level of com- compet- competition, paying power, uh, level of corruption, uh, ease of doing business, um, population size, so on and so forth. So, uh, as well as geopolitical positioning of, of the area you are in, accessibility to surrounding markets, uh, gap in offering, uh, the standard of, of living of, of people in mass, and uh, and many of them see that these variables, whether directly or indirectly, would would give them a fair chance if they spend the effort here versus in their respective hometowns or their respective countries. Mm. Uh, and and they decide to stay. Let us also not ignore the fact that it is a very safe country, beside being very low in corruption. Safety is a very costly commodity. Just people just don't see it in that. Many people don't don't realize that fact. It's a very expensive commodity. And I think UAE has played it well so that we are always seen as as the most safe environment for people and families and kids and and so on and so forth. So I think there are a few variables that push people to come here and take the risk despite the shortages on, for example, having social security in many instances. I think. What's, what's the negative about having all these foreigners in your country? What's the negative? There's lots of positives, I'm sure you'll tell me, but what, what are the challenges that you see? Because the Emirati population was once 100% yes, yes. and it's slowly dwindled to a, you know, what is it? I think it's 11%, it's, is it? It's now, yeah, anywhere between 11 and 12. And it will, it will, it, it will decay uh, to less than 10% quite fast. The reason There's why not is another country in the world where that, that, that is that, the, that is the, di- the I mean uh, I mean I mean look at it to think of somewhere Monaco maybe but yeah and there's nowhere in the world I think that was have the, the indigenous population is only 10% of the population let, let us talk about, about the positives first the positives are for for the local uh, indigenous population the positives are the government that is currently taxing a 10 million population but predominantly responsible for one million in population when it comes to housing and it comes to marriage support, education, healthcare. That return, that tax return, is probably substantial enough to cover a good chunk of that small population. Yeah. So, so it gives them security, which I think is a, is a smart way of doing things, A. B, today, we as a, a population we have we enjoy the fact that our country is multinational where everything comes to us yeah mm-hmm. so you know any the latest and the greatest not only in the uh, from in the concepts of you know commodities uh, luxury items malls or experiences or fa- dining and but we also get ideas okay from people coming in with new concepts that could uh, could start uh, global phenomena. So I, I think it brings in minds and, and, and a lot of cultural exchanges happen in a positive way. Yes, we are as, a, as an indigenous community are a bit uh, do stay to, to ourselves, but uh, we are highly influenced today by many cultures and we attempt and try to take the best of the best. And I think vice versa happens also. And I think a lot of foreign uh, foreigners come here and appreciate certain aspects of uh, of our uh, community 
culture and, and, and behavior. And they'd like to reflect them back onto their own communities, which mm -hmm. is a, a good thing. I think, mm. I, think, I think the country has done a really good job in, in harmony mm -hmm. uh, amongst indigenous and many other cultures. You know, how many nationalities we have here? All of them, I think. All, all of them. And, <laughs> yeah. do, and, and believe me, you'll find enemies globally. They'll kill each other in their respective region. But when they come here, they are friends and they talk to you. And they don't touch politics and they don't touch these kind of cultural subjects. Why is that? It's because as in any culture and as any country, if it is safe, if you, are, if you get a job, you are able to feed your kids, and family, they have decent education, decent health care. What do you want more? Mm -hmm. Most people don't care about any of that noise if they have what they need. They only start talking about this and it becomes a subject when they lack things in their lives. Mm -hmm. This is the way I probably un, from an unqualified position think the case is. Let's talk about education. You're a, you're a successful entrepreneur yourself. You know, you've told us a bit about that story. My, my two daughters are 20 and 22 years old. My 22-year-old just graduated this summer from university. And she was the first person in my family to ever go to university. Interesting. And my youngest is still there. She graduates next year. And I, I put them through uh, expensive educations and expensive universities because... I felt that's what they needed. But there has been more and more talk over recent years about how the education system is broken and how kids are not being taught what they need to be taught so they can go on and succeed in life themselves. And my, my eldest, when she graduated in, in July, she's like, I did that for you. I could have been at work for the last four years and I did that for you. And um, I was like, well, <laughs> You did it for you, actually, but, you know, I paid for it. Okay. <laughs> but she, she felt that four years in the workplace might have taught her more than four years of university. I don't know whether you agree with that or not, but that, that was her opinion. But because there's so much noise now that's coming out with, you know, university is broken, there needs to be a different way, education system is broken, there needs to be a different way. Why do people need to know about, I don't know, Pythagoras' theory, you know, when they're never going to use it in life? What, what, what do you make of that and, and that kind of noise? And what do you feel about the education system and, and, and what's broken about it and what, what's good about it? What's the fastest object in the universe? The fastest object in the universe? The speed of light? I don't know. You, you, you almost said the speed of light, speed yes? Speed of light, yeah. Most people will answer me that. Okay. It's actually the speed of this expansion of the universe that we are in. And that piece of information was taught to me by my 12 years old son. When I gathered my teachers, the teachers in my school, I asked them this question, and nobody was able to answer. I, I couldn't answer. You couldn't answer. So my, my statement was, kids today know better than the teachers because they consume information, social media. They have access to all kinds of information. Whenever they want to access, it's there, and it is for free, and it is in a click of a button or a small TikTok uh, uh, video that comes and teaches them something instant relevant relevant to their interest 
So the role of a teacher is not the role that they used to play before because teachers before had studied a subject, they've gone through these books that us as kids didn't have access to, nor that we were able to know how to read or you know, make sense of, or probably nor that we even had the interest in. Yeah? So they covered these books and now they try and deliver what they have covered in those books into a, a mass set of students. Is that the role of teachers today? I don't think so, because the kids they teach will probably know more than them, and they are more updated than them in many, many aspects. That is a scary concept, by the way, mm. to teachers. So in my opinion, it's not about delivering the information now, the role of, a, of an education system. It's guiding on how to use information. And what are the targets of guidance usually, in my opinion? Why would I guide anybody on how to use information? I would usually guide them to achieve few objectives. A, that they have a skill whereby they can have a, an economic contribution to themselves or their families, or that they can enhance their quality of life or quality of life of others, contribute to society, and so on and so forth. That's the ultimate objective. I mean, why do we teach anybody? Why is there schools? Because mm -hmm. they are ideally meant to deliver, at the end of the education experience, individuals that can contribute economically and to the standard of living and to society. That's what, uh, unless you, th you, could, you could imagine something else, that, those are the basis of, of the need to educate. Mm -hmm. yeah? In the current era, whereby information is so readily available, where kids know more than the teachers, they are more updated than the teachers. What's the role of the teacher? In my opinion, the role is to mentor. And, and how are you able to mentor? You can only mentor if you have experience. So the role of a teacher that graduates as a teacher, in my opinion, will diminish. So we watched a movie years and years ago called Cocktail with Tom Cruise in. And he's in there and he's hustling and he wants to be an entrepreneur. He wants to be a successful business owner. So he goes to, he goes to evening classes to learn how to be a, be a mm. business person, mm. yeah? And the lecturer gave him some grief, you know, about something to do with, you know, what he hadn't studied or the question he asked. And Tom Cruise said, how are you on earth able to teach me a subject that you've never lived yourself? Yeah, and, exactly. And that really resonated with me. And it, res it resonated with me throughout my life as I started to think about people that are in the coaching space as well. Yeah. It's like mentors and coaches are very different. Mentors are people that have walked in the shoes that you're going to walk in. Yes. And if you, there's someone that's walked in the shoes that you're going to walk in, they are going to have the best knowledge and experience to be able to share and, and help you and guide you along your way. Would you agree with that? Exactly. Okay. So to look at the education system, to look at my daughter, she did a degree in graphic design and communications at the University of Arts in London. My youngest is doing a degree in filmmaking and we're currently making a documentary. And we were 
uh, we invited her. So Sophia and I were in, in Nepal and we invited her to come and be a production assistant. Yes. A bit of work experience, yes, yeah? Yes. And so she she arrived. I'm studying film. I know everything about film. I've been I've been doing this for the last two years, you know. I've got this, you know. And then the, she was watching the cameramen doing their job. And she stopped one of them. Or when, when he stopped, she said, how do you go and get that angle on that shot so quickly? He said, 20 years experience. Yes. yes and yes. all of a sudden she was like, oh, yes. okay, maybe I don't know everything I need yes, to know. Yes, you know? Yes. So that, that's the case. To think in the mood of problem solving or opportunity finding. In my opinion, this is engraved in our DNA. This is how we survived. The education system, though, does not attend to that. You are punished if you make a mistake. Statistically, 90% of companies, startups, fail within the first 33 years. How is not failure a huge part of success? Mm-hmm. How can I punish people for failing if for them to reach their success, 90% of what they have to do has to fail? Do you understand me? I'm yeah, I really understand you. So to punish for failure is good for employees, not for entrepreneurs, not for builders of solutions, not for people that will enhance quality of life and be self, self-feeding, self-sufficient. Tell me about this school that you set up, because I'm fascinated to learn more about it. I think it's a great idea. It's uh, For me, I'm going to say this is quite a bold statement. I think it's the future of education. Uh, uh, when people ask me this question, I, I, I usually don't like to entertain big titles because I don't want to be I don't want to be negative towards the others. What am I concerned with and what am I trying to build? I want teach. I don't want teachers. I want mentors. But try to find mentors in the market that will teach in a school. That's challenging. Very challenging. So I have to make them. Okay. So teachers that I've we've selected are teachers that I would select to join my venture studios. So I have two venture studios in the school. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the school so, so everyone can get an idea of it. The school is called Citizens. I call it citizens because citizens, one, I want it to be an experience more so than a school uh, in the conventional way of looking at the school. So citizens as an education experience. Uh, it's nine years in the making because I wanted to put in a concept that is really relevant and something that I would hope to spend the rest of my life developing and being able to grow generations that will contribute positively to themselves and their community. The school is uh, is in Dubai. It's just uh, opposite to CityWalk. It's a, uh, a British curriculum school plus, plus, plus. And the pluses are predominantly a lot of futuristic academies like Blockchain Academy, Metaverse Academy, Sustainable Farming Academy, Arts, Sports, and so on. Uh, facilities. So I think I have some of the best facilities there is in, in, in the UAE or even the region. So Olympic football pitch, semi-Olympic uh, uh, pool, and many, many other sports and arts facilities. 
And the last plus is the Venture Studios. When I'm asked, it's a great idea, why do you have Venture Studios in a school? Mm-hmm. The kids are too young. A, I don't think they are too young because we have in our program, we start teaching them about creative thinking and entrepreneurship and finding solutions and problems from as young as four years old. We have a joint venture with a company called uh, 8 Billion Ideas, and we start from four years old. So it's in the curriculum. Uh, And the Venture Studios is predominantly targeting the teachers so that the teachers gain hands-on experience about how to identify research, identify uh, gaps, problems, opportunities, and take it from a problem or an opportunity to a business model, a business plan, and deliver on a product or a service that adds value to community. Unless we take them to such a journey, how should we expect kids to come out of the school with such a mentality? Mm -hmm. The teachers have to understand how to extract problems and opportunities, how to team up, communicate, and evolve a product or a service that people would enjoy. You say nine years in the making. Where does an idea like that come from? What frustration did you experience or what did you acknowledge that made you say, hold on a minute, I'm going to do this? So it took me almost a couple of years to just figure out you know, what is a model that I would like to produce an experience, an education experience. I come from other industries like healthcare and also, and we've done the same in, in other uh, industries. So we've always got into industries with an experience, evolved something relatively new, and and in, in most cases, we have succeeded in delivering a product or a service that was appreciated. And, uh, and most of these companies are sold now, in my case. So uh, coming from that mentality, I wanted to penetrate the education sector with the mentality of producing something different, something relevant, something that people want, but do it properly, like the hard way. But if you think about it, Knowing the entrepreneur that you are, family offices, so there's potential investment opportunities for those family offices. You create essentially an incubator of young, bright, brilliant minds, okay, in, we talk about the metaverse space and the blockchain space, so the future of money, the future of technology. It, it, It could almost be like a full circle structure where you're building this education system that creates these talented entrepreneurs that go on to require investment in their businesses that you both help to develop. They, they bring their, their skills, knowledge, and experience, and you bring the money and your skills, knowledge, and experience, I'm, I'm, and potentially... I'm winning partners. I'm building my own partners. Yeah. You understand me? And, and that's a habit that I had either ways with my, with my, my employees. So I push them to lead, I try to find leaders amongst them, and then I partner with them. Imagine building an ecosystem whereby I produce partners. Yeah. You understand me? So, so you're saying that with a bit of a smile on your face. Yeah, yeah, so that's yeah, yeah. exactly what you I think. think. I think if I, if I succeed, it's a jackpot. I mean, how nice is that? Many ask me, what if a teacher that becomes an entrepreneur, why would they stay teaching? I say, well, if they become entrepreneurs, they are my partners now. 
Yeah. So the, 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 it's very hard for you to find the the mentors that are the teachers to because that that doesn't typically gel, does it? You know, a teacher sits in that kind of like salaried payment system. The entrepreneur mentor type fits outside of that. So finding those those types of people that are that are efficient and effective and brilliant, okay, is probably one of your biggest challenges, isn't it? Is it? It, it is. It is a challenge. But I always say to build the right team. Always, there's an average of three iterations average uh-huh. so the fastest way for you to find those leaders those effective individuals that can actually grow uh, ventures but at the same time have a social purpose can and would enjoy delivering I mean handing over that experience to, to a younger jury go through that painful exercise of knowledge transfer it's not impossible it's there but the fast way to get to it is to actually go through the fail fails fast yeah yeah so be very meticulous about you know recruit them see them on ground do they gel do they act do they take responsibility do they lead and if they don't you change them fast not to say that it is those are bad people or good people it's never a bad people it's is it the right person doing the right thing at the right place mm-hmm. as per the plan mm-hmm. and that's my role my role is only to find people i mean if you really think of it now, what am I doing? I'm just, I just roam around, try to find good people that I can make leaders of, and then I, I would enjoy partnering with. Give me the statistics you told me when we were talking before we were on camera, the statistics of what percentage of the population in 25, 30 years time are going to need to be entrepreneurs. Yeah, 40%. It's survival. 40% of them will have to self-feed. They have to be entrepreneurs. Why is that? Because of many aspects, a population will stagnate and start dropping. Second, AI will take a lot of jobs away. So unless unless what you come up with is a problem that AI hasn't yet solved, then it would not be needed because you are less efficient than the machines. A lot of uh, jobs of the future will have to be linked to creativity, lifestyle, uh, team management, communication, more so than attending to routine tasks. Routine tasks will be taken over by the machine. They are already taken over by the machine. But that will propagate even further with the biggest crisis that, that Earth uh, is fa- or humanity is facing, not Earth. Earth doesn't care about us. Humanity is facing is the population crisis. We are at a point of no return. We will dive very fast, shrink as a, as a species, which means economies will shrink, jobs will shrink. The perspective, the prospect of the future will become dim, to become negative rather than positive. When they say to you that the stock market it's the safest place for you to put money. It's always, it always recovers. It gets sick, but it always recovers. It's always growth. Uh, wh- why does it grow? It, it grows predominantly because population grows. And, and predominantly, countries move from being underdeveloped to more developed. Uh, machines came and gave us some more efficiency. So there is more margin in, uh, in, in, in economies or in, in business. This is why stock markets are being... But then let demand become lower for products and services. Yeah. 
how how would the market react how would global economy react how how would people sentiment do to jobs and and and, and economies it is very doomy by the way we are living i don't know if you potentially could realize we are living the golden era of humanity now it's not going to be nice for the next generation and we have to equip them for it it's i'm, I'm sorry if i'm a bit no, negative i love but, it but i think it's substantiated or at least from a uh, an assumption point of view from my perspective those are facts population is going to stagnate very soon most statistics say at around 9.3 we're at, at 8 now which means 30 to 50 years from now there are countries that can never recover their population even if they try their best like china mm-hmm. it's way below their recovery rates U- u.s since the 70s mm-hmm. many parts of europe this is why they accept uh, immigrants because they are aging they don't build families even the concept of marriage in many countries disappeared. Mm-hmm. So there's there's no coverage for, for the, the concepts of producing more to create bigger economic structures has diminished in favor of quality of life. But that would become a, a shooting ourselves in the foot very soon. How many brothers and sisters have you got? Seven. Seven. So we we are seven. I'm including you. Including you. So my mother, my mother has five. My my father has three. I am two, and it's pretty normal that one or two uh, children come into the world from lots of families. But it's pretty normal in the Western world, anyway. However, we still see this population go down because more women are pursuing careers rather than wanting yes. to be families. M- many aspects. More more women wants to pursue careers, but predominantly in Developed countries, uh, couples uh, start contemplating uh, enjoying life. So they want to have less responsibilities. They want to travel more. They want to. So this is why they don't opt to, including me. I mean, they don't opt to produce as much as their parents did. And this is a common phenomena in in the world. UAE in the 90s, 80s and 90s, it was 4.7 kids per couple. UAE nationals, the indigenous. Now it's, if I'm not mistaken, 2.7 or 4, less than half. Why? Because we developed as a country. Couples started, you know, focusing, it's like, okay, we'll focus on two and like give them the best we can rather than spreading that energy on five. And we know what we, you know, two is enough because I don't want to travel and enjoy life. You can't blame them for it, but does it, but the impact of that economically is going to be scary. So the impact on that also from an education system point of view is obviously a challenge too, because in 30 years time, there's going to be less kids coming through the system. Yeah, that's true. And this is, and, and kids will go to places where they can be ready sooner. So, this, so how did we now, I mean, how did the humanity evolve whereby you are only useful after you graduated from college? at age 21. These social concepts are relatively new to humanity and somehow we take it for granted. You make me really think about it. It's fascinating to try and understand that and see how that will will play out in our lifetimes. Yeah, yeah. 
we are at the age of uh, challenging a lot of concepts by the way i think soon enough the whole concept of success the whole concept of happiness concepts of love a lot of these concepts are gonna get major recontemplation globally it will become phenomenas the things that you'd never expect to be discussed give me an example what is success i'm sure that the way you thought of success for a good period of time was to graduate from college get a certificate get married have a kid build a house get promoted get a good job get get to travel but where's the root of all of this how did it become the that definition sounded, of success it sounded so boring as you said that just then it sounded so yeah. gosh is that what success was yeah yeah but wasn't that and it's still the vast majority of people gauge success according to these variables and 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 the sad part is that they gauge happiness according to these variables so you should only be happy if you have got the greatest marks mm-hmm. and you've got that job and you've got that woman and you've got so many kids and then you got that promotion it's always in the future it's always you've you've been told that time is so important is it <laughs> i don't think so i think what matters the most is your status on average mentally and your your well-being your well-being status on average that's what matters the most that's the most real thing because the others i don't know how real they are i wonder do you live for today i try i mean whoever says that they do they are lying we are so entrenched into a society with a certain mental structure but what i say is that as long as you try to live the day or the way i gauge quality of day is do you sleep in peace do you wake up excited the more days you have of good sleep and waking excited the better on average your life is or quality of life realistically even from a chemical configuration you understand me how your the sea of hormones that your brain lives in this is how i believe is the most realistic measure of quality of life more so than have you ticked these future boxes upon which you should then be happy live for the moment it's like i have a friend of mine who's I mean, you try i'm not yeah. saying you can you can do 100% nobody can i have a friend of mine that's very wealthy and he he lives he lives even though he's very wealthy he lives in fear anxiety yeah he has anxiety yeah. every day even though he's wealthy he has anxiety yeah. over losing it all or what could happen tomorrow and i'm like i look at him and i'm like you don't you don't need to worry about anything your health is all you need to worry about yeah but this is how he became rich yeah it's because he's always in a fight mode okay he's always conscious he's super zoomed into problems mm-hmm. you can't blame him i mean the most entrepreneurs most successful men are depressed and anxious but that's a that's a reason why they are successful this is they are in problem solving mode all the time yeah to get out of it and to adjust to a a lifestyle that's less that has less depression and anxiety and less fear and less fight it's not easy man it is not easy but to have the conviction to understand the logic behind living as many days as peaceful as possible 
is the first step. And to think it is a black and white thing, it's never black and white. It really boils down to the mix of chemicals you have in your brain. So it's never really black and white. It's always a salad. It's always a, a cocktail. You understand me? So to have an averagely, if I have two or three days in, in a week whereby I'm in peace and I'm relatively content, I think that is a, that is a success, in my opinion. That is the definition of success. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's all unqualified either way. That's my personal opinion. Dr. Adil Al-Zaruni, it's really, really lovely talking to you and learning about your story, your background, and how you see world, the world and how you see life. And I wish more people could be like you because I just think, I just think we might be a little bit more lighthearted about now and more optimistic about the future. Yeah, that's humanity. That's society. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank <laughs> you.